Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the season is in full swing, and that means one thing. It's time for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home for Chicago Cubs checking. Open online today at wintrust.com slash Cubs. Now, I'm Cole Wright at your service alongside my guy, Tony Andraki from Marquee Sports Network, and you see him on Cubs Live, Cubs Post Game Live, a nine-year Major League veteran, Ryan Sweeney and Sweeney Dog, I'm going to start with you because seven games into the season, the Cubs coming away with a four to two win over the Pittsburgh Pirates in their first road series of the year. No matter how you slice it, they got to win. The Cubs now move to five and zero. Oh, anytime that Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javi Baez all go deep in the same game, and to see that display of power, it has to be a pretty good feeling if you're David Ross. Oh yeah, I mean, anytime the middle of your order can go in there and you know, get four home runs in one game and have Javi go in there and, uh, you know, give him the lead three to two. Um, that's a huge feat. Um, you know, we've kind of seen uh, on Thursday with Arietta throwing that he really didn't have his good stuff and he hasn't had his good stuff in the first couple, first couple outings, but um, looking forward to, to watching him throw the next, you know, continuing to get better and learning from every outing. And just, you could see the frustration on his face yesterday with him going out there and, not being able to hit the strike zone quite as the way he wanted to, but Rossi thought that maybe, you know, he might not make it through the fifth inning, but he made it to the sixth and gave him six quality uh, innings. And that's a huge, huge win to get that out of your two, two uh, second starter there. Without a doubt. And to see Jake area to get that second win of the season, he feels pretty good, especially since he said uh, in his first outing of the season, didn't have that change up, didn't look to have his full arsenal on Thursday once again, or on Wednesday, excuse me, but uh, yeah, went out there, excuse, it was Thursday. Yeah, my days are all mixed up. You don't even know what day, <laughs> like Groundhog's Day, when you're locked in to the season, every day is the same day. It's a day that the team goes out there and gets a win, and that's exactly what they did on Thursday. But Tony, we saw them struggle all season long through the first six games, just 21 hits they were able to muster out, and then an offensive explosion at PNC, 11 knocks, and we talked about the guys who were putting that power stroke on display. Yeah, it, it's funny. You just said all season long right there for the six games. It It's kind of crazy to think about that we have a 162-game season. Like last year, six games was a tenth of the season, and it felt like so much more. And that's the mindset that I felt in all year, like covering the first week of the season is like, oh, yeah, we have six months of this. We don't have like a two-month sprint. So I think it's been even different for me, and I know Ian Happ has said a couple of times that – he and, and the rest of the Cubs players have thought in the clubhouse that they have to keep reminding themselves, hey, we have 160 more or 152 more or whatever it is at, at any given moment. And so I think that's helped them relax. It's helped them breathe because last year they were never really able to get into that groove offensively. And and so far they, you know, yes, obviously it's been up and down. But I think what was most impressive was in the first six games, they were able to find ways to score runs, or I guess really the first four games, they were able to find ways to score runs with productive outs and moving base runners and uh, stealing a couple bags, you know, all, all those kind of little things. And Cole, I know you're a big proponent of, of small ball. They were doing some of those things that, um, that they could, even when they weren't hitting the ball out of the ballpark or, or smashing 11 hits in a game. So I think that was encouraging. And then, yeah, you're going to have more games like Thursday where they have 11 hits and the big boys all go deep. Yeah, you hear uh, you hear Tony Ryan. He's he's sitting there poking fun at me for liking a fundamentally sound baseball. You go station to station. You get them on. You get them over. You get them in. You lay down a bunt. You put a sacrifice fly in the air. You mix in a base hit or two, and next thing you know, 
good things happen. But what we saw in the first six games, a little bit different than what we saw in game number seven. Like we said, 11 hits as opposed to just 21 through the first six. As you watch those first six games, were you at all concerned that what we saw last season, a lot of those swing and misses and a lot of those all or nothing at bats was carrying over into this season? Well, first of all, you don't have to tell me about small ball because they used to call me swingles. <laughs> I used to hit a lot of singles. So, but no, I'm, I'm not surprising. Look, these guys, like you said, they're not going to panic. They need to go out there and, and realize that it's only the first seven games of the year. You know, last year there was kind of a, a pedal on the metal, you know, every game counts kind of thing. And, and don't get me wrong, every single game does count this year. But they have more time to go out there and, and, and kind of catch yourself and take a little breather. Now, I do, I do think that they're going to, you know, be able to capitalize and be able to, you know, string together hits. Like you said, today they had almost half as many hits as they had an entire season today. So, you know, it's good positive note to be able to see them go out there and put together some homers and to be able to, you know, drive runners in when they get in scoring position. I think one thing that we saw today and in the first couple innings, I know Bryant had his home run, but in the first couple innings, we saw them be a little bit more aggressive, right? We saw them kind of swinging at more pitches. I feel like it was a positive last year but it's kind of been a little bit of negative the first six or so games of the season where they've been taking pitches and they haven't been swinging at pitches that maybe are in the strike zone that they should be doing some damage with so I think that was maybe something that was reiterated coming into Thursday's game that they needed to maybe be a little bit more aggressive and, and take some swings and uh, you know drive guys in when they do get in scoring position because the, the pitching has been pretty pretty decent so far. Yeah, and Tony, we saw Anthony Rizzo in that ambush state of mind. We saw him with that first pitch home run, and that's his 60th first pitch home run since 2011. That by far and away leads all of Major League Baseball. It's all about that aggressiveness. You think a fastball is coming, then guess what? Go out there and jump on it. And that's what we saw Tony Two Chains do. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my cat's uh, wanting to get in on this. He has to weigh in. Um, but yeah, we saw uh, Rizzo also, he kind of, he ambushed. Yeah, hitting okay, it's all right. It's all right. Cats are trying to get in on the Cubs Weekly Podcast too. No shame in yeah. that. Cat guy. Cat guy. Um, <laughs> we saw Rizzo ambush Anthony Iaposi in the dugout too with a hug right after that homer, which I thought was awesome because it was like, hey, let's all celebrate this together. And Iaposi was so fun in spring training. He talked about how he feels like a um, like a swing doctor sometimes, like a therapist other times, like as a hitting coach, he, he wears all these different hats. And, you know, Rizzo's a guy that obviously puts in the work and always has throughout his career. So for him to, you know, get on the board, have a big home run, like you said, you know, jump on the first pitch off a lefty, those are all big things. And I think it was a sigh of relief. And really, I think offensively, it goes back to Jack Peterson's homer in the eighth inning off Devin Williams yep. in the finale against the Brewers. I think that was something that, that really sparked this team and sparked this lineup as they move forward and there was something Ross pointed to as well that you know the Cubs they felt like they had really good vibes leaving Wrigley Field on Wednesday and traveling to to Pittsburgh they felt like offensively hey we had some good at bats at the end of that last game against the Brewers it didn't turn out the way we wanted to but like let's keep the same approach and they went out there and did it and, and to Ryan's point too I mean jumping being aggressive in, in early in the count and jumping on some of those first pitches it, it's something that they wanted to do too going into the season. It was a big point of emphasis for them. And so far, you know, just one game, obviously, but it's worked out. Tony, what do you think? What about the takeaways from the starting rotation? Because taking a look at what we've seen so far through the first go round, uh, we saw Kyle Hendricks a, a little bumpy on opening day, right at the ship in his second outing, Jake Arrieta, he was strong. And then it was 
Zach Davies. And then we saw Trevor Williams. And then Albert Alzali ran into a briar patch that first inning of his outing, but then he settled right in. So, you know, all signs point to this pitching staff being solid when it comes to the rotation. The, the, the familiar faces in Hendricks and Alzali on the back and front end, those are the two guys that weren't able to get it done. Yeah, I think we're, we're seeing what we talked about, Cole. I know like leading into the season, we mentioned this podcast, we all thought that this pitching staff could be, uh, it would surprise some people. We thought that they would be more successful than maybe some of the, the, the experts from outside and baseball uh, analysts thought they could be. And it's because of the, what we've seen so far. It's pitching the contact. It's you're changing speeds, but mixing things up. We saw Trevor Williams throw five pitches for strikes in his outing and, and use all four of his breaking balls and, and off-speed pitches pretty much equally too. So I think these guys have a, they have a ton to offer in terms of just different looks, you know, going up, down, in, out, changing speeds, and they're going to pitch the contact. And the Cubs defense has to keep doing what they've done so far in the first week of the season. And that's turning all these ground balls and, and fly balls into outs. So there are going to be inevitably some days where this, this Cubs team, they pitch to contact and it hits into some tough luck. Like Arietta, you know, the two runs he gave up, it was a couple of bloop hits that that really he felt and and uh, David Ross felt that that was one of his best innings against the Pirates. But, you know, that that's going to happen when you pitch the contact. So I think um, this is exactly what the Cubs thought that would, would get from the rotation, but it still might be a little bit of a surprise to like the baseball world. Ryan, what about a guy like Trevor Williams? We saw him in his first start as a Chicago Cub. His father, longtime Cubs fan, Rich Williams, he was in attendance. He was keeping that meticulous scorecard right there. Something tells me that he's going to frame that up a little bit down the road. But for Trevor Williams to go out there and harness that energy, a guy who pitched well for the Pittsburgh Pirates, but at the end of the day, he was a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So it's hard to really go out there and perform. But now he's part of a team with a winning culture, and he looked to channel that in that first time out. Yeah, it's really cool to see him come over, you know, and watching him over on the other side and pitching for Pittsburgh before. Like you said, he was kind of with the Pirates, so they weren't really expected to win. Now you come over and you're with, with the Cubs, you're kind of expected to win or ex at least expected to go to the playoffs. And we've gotten a taste of winning a World Series in 16. So, you know, now you kind of have that mentality. And I just think it's such a cool thing to see that, you know, they were Cubs fans growing up or that his dad is a huge Cubs, Cubs fan. I kind of equate that a little bit to myself where, you know, he was on Pittsburgh uh, Pirates. When I got drafted, I got drafted to the White Sox, but my grandparents and parents were huge Cubs fans. And they're like, you know, we will cheer for, for you, but we will not cheer. We will not cheer for the White Sox. So it's kind of cool that, you know, to see him on the other side and then now to see guys that, you know, they, when they were young, younger kids or their parents rooted for to be able to play for those teams and see how much joy it brings to their parents to be able to see them pitch and do well like he did in his first outing. Yeah, we'll move now from the starting rotation to the bullpen because for, for the most part, the bullpen, they, they've been locked down. We saw a hiccup with Brandon Workman. We also saw a hiccup with Dan Winkler on Thursday. But, you know, the way these guys have come out and pitched, specifically Tony, Craig Kimbrell. Craig Kimbrell, he went out there, got back-to-back -back strikeouts in the fifth on Thursday, earned his first five-out career save and his 350th career regular season save. And uh, all indicators point to Craig Kimbrell being back to the Craig Kimbrell of Boston and Atlanta, for that matter. Yeah, I think so, for sure. Ross was joking that, you know, if you're going to get your first five-out save and you're going to get your first, you know, your 350th career save, that you got to work for it. And he did. 
to come in with bases loaded situation, one out. I mean, honestly, that was the nastiest I've seen Kimbrell look in a Cubs uniform. I I think the most dominant, he was getting, you know, that curveball that he threw in the dirt. I forget what Pirates hitter it was to get the first strike out in that eighth inning. That was nasty. And then 98, he had that, that perfect, like rising action on the fastball that he always strives for. So yeah, I I think this is far and away the best we've seen from Kimbrell. Uh, This was the best outing, I believe of his Cubs career. And that's not, you know, he was dominant for, for 14 appearances at the end of last season and and all September, but that was really big. This was a a particularly big save for him um, to, to, you know, work through Winkler's control issues and and help the the Cubs secure this win, help your Arietta secure this win. So, yeah, I I think it it really just speaks to, um, or it helps, there's this trickle down effect for the rest of the bullpen when Kimbrell is pitching this way and he's that lights out closer. I think everything just falls in line so much more and you can line it up better. If you're Ross or if you're a Cubs fan looking, you can relax and breathe a bit easier here. Yeah, without a doubt. And Ross has lined up things to perfection so far this year, whether it's been the bullpen and who he's had to call upon to come in and try to bail the team out or whether it's been just this, the lineup making those substitutions, Ryan, what are your thoughts so far about the way David Ross has been able to manage and seemingly been able to press all the right buttons seven games into the season? Yeah. I mean, look, we've talked about this before. Rossi's been there and he's done that. He knows where guys are going to succeed in certain situations and he knows that everybody needs to play. I think they're kind of just feeling out. We talked about, you know, in the pregame on Thursday that about how guys we're seeing where guys can play. We have a lot of different lefty righty matchups. We're seeing where they hit in the order and we're seeing how they can play out in the field. So I think he's trying to keep everyone loose. He realizes that it's 162 game season now. So we're going to give guys uh, days off, you know, other than uh, a Rizzo or a Baez or something like that, unless they're struggling. But, you know, I think Marisnik did a great, did a great job yesterday. Um, getting a couple knocks, all those guys, whenever their name's called, you just got to go in there and produce. And I think that's what they're doing. And Rossi knows that that's the main thing as a guy. He's been, you know, a starter in his career and he's been a backup, which a lot of us all have. And you kind of know what situations you need and you know that you need to get some at bats to succeed. And if you sit for a while, you know, you're not going to be able to succeed and go in there and get a bunch of hits if you're not fresh. Yeah, Tony, what about the battle at second base? We know how highly contested it was down there in Arizona. It, w- it was a three-headed monster, David Bodie, Eric Sogard, and, of course, the youngster, Nico Horner. Nico starting out the year in AAA. There's, you know, that, that service time conversation that is always brought up when it comes to Nico, but chances are we're going to see him back with the big club sooner than later. But when you have all that talent at one position, that's a pretty good situation to be in when you're David Ross. Yeah, I think it is. And, and I think it's kind of been interesting, too, how he's utilized the two guys he has now in, in Bodie and Sogard on the, the big league roster. You know, they're, he, he's had Sogard come in on a double switch, which has also been kind of interesting to have like NL rules again, right, without the DH. And Sogard has had a couple, you know, big pinch hits and, and big late game at bats early in the season too. So, and then, yeah, Bodie, he's made some really, really nice defensive plays. He had that one game against the Brewers where he was just phenomenal. He was ranging all over the right field grass uh, to make several different plays. So, yeah, I think right now Ross has pushed all the right buttons. Um, Obviously the caveat being that, that nobody throughout the lineup really hit the way they wanted to for the first six games of the season. Um, But yeah, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. And it's like, 
I, I'd like to see over a larger sample size too, how Bodie can perform in this kind of everyday role that they have him in. And then when you have Sogard, you know, you have this guy that Trevor Williams nicknamed Babe Sogard because of his, his ability to get, you know, come up with clutch hits and, and do some things offensively. That's a nice weapon to have off the bench too. Babe Sogard. What's, what's the meaning of that one? I don't know what. Just, I mean, I think it's Williams and Sogard both went to Arizona state. So, you know, there's, they were a couple years apart, but there's definitely a connection and, and tie in rapport there. And then, yeah, Williams said just because Sogard was on the Brewers last year. So Williams faced him in the division. And just in the past, Williams said he, uh, he's, he and other teammates have always said that Sogard seems like he comes through in big spots. So they nicknamed him Babe Sogard, obviously like Babe Ruth range. And uh, I mean, that's a pretty strong comparison to make for, okay. you know, a guy who's been okay. a utility that's, that's player. Why I, that completely went over my head because uh, when you talk about George Herman Ruth and Eric Sogard, it's never, ever in the same sentence. No disrespect <laughs> to Eric Sogard, but I don't think that uh, he and uh, the great Bambino are getting brought up in conversations alongside a fire. I, I agree with you 100%. I just repeated Trevor Williams' nickname for the man. <laughs> okay. Now, you know, I, I don't want to have to double back, but I'm going to go back to this one because one guy who's been a, a pretty big star so far this season out of the bullpen, and, and Tony, I know you're enamored with his lovely man main. It's, uh, of, of course, it, it's the big man. It's the sheriff. It's Andrew Chafin. And uh, for, for him to come out and do what needs to be done, David Ross knows he has that old school mentality. He just gets after it. You need a pitch to be thrown, give me the ball. I'm running out of the barn doors and I'm going to get after it for you. Yeah. Chafin, I think is uh, one of the most, maybe the most interesting player on the Cubs right now. I heard you mention his mustache to David Ross during that pregame uh, press conference. I did. Yeah. I was, uh, I just, I mean, everybody loves it. I don't know how you couldn't, right? Like from a guy who can't grow a mustache, which by the way, this is probably like two weeks growth right here. And that's like nothing. I I can grow a little bit of facial hair, but the mustache, it just, it's never worked out for me. So I'm jealous for one. And, but like, I respect that the mustache game from Chafin and, and it's just funny. Like I didn't even realize until Ross mentioned it when I asked him that uh, Chafin, when he walks off the mound, he stares daggers into Ross and Ross is like, he looks like he wants to come fight me. And, and then I went back and saw some of the video and it's like, it's funny. I don't know exactly why Chafin does that. We'll have to ask him at some point, but yeah, he's a really entertaining guy. Um, and, and he's, he's so underrated and under the radar for this bullpen. Cause when they signed him in February and they brought him back, that was a huge move for this team because he's, he's a, he's not just a lefty specialist. He is left-handed, but he can get righties out. He has that pretty wicked fastball slider combination and he can strike guys out, you know, pitch in high leverage situations, go through the heart of the order. Like he also, you, you, you add Kimbrell and then him, I think it just makes everything, you know, it elongates the rest of that bullpen and makes everybody more settled in their roles when you have two guys like that. Yeah. The Cubs coming off of that uh, season opening road series versus Pittsburgh. And you think about Andrew Chafin and, and Rossi said he stares him down when he comes off of the mound, <laughs> but that makes me think back of a guy like Mike Fetters. You remember Mike Fetters, Tony, you may be too yeah. young. For him, but I know Ryan Sweeney. I know you remember Mike Fetters when he comes set and then, and then he oh, yeah. straight to home and then he'd rock and fire. It's it's old school, but either way, it's uh, conjuring up memories when you think of a guy like this, like the sheriff, Andrew Chafin. But, you know, when it comes to Jake Marisnik, Ryan, I know you're a big fan of him. You said time and time again, you think that he should maybe be in the leadoff hole. He's a guy who makes contact. He has wheels. He can be in there. He could be a role player or he can be an everyday player. And David Ross, he's made sure that he's been able to insert him in that lineup just a few times so far. Yeah, and he's almost like a lefty killer, right? I'm just saying, like, I don't necessarily think he should be in the leadoff role every time he plays, but I think that he should be in the leadoff role when he is taking half spot and, uh, you know, playing in the outfield. 
and coming into that one hole and keeping Contreras in the two hole, right? I just feel like as a player, and we kind of talked about this, there's a little bit different mindset when you get into that leadoff role. And I feel like with Contreras moving him into that leadoff spot, I, I know it's it's not really a big discrepancy between one and two with getting at bats, but I just feel like in that leadoff spot, you felt like you were at bat every single inning. And with having a catcher and calling a game, and I'm guessing having a lot more th things to worry about than just hitting, um, you know, that's a lot to put on your plate. So take that pressure off him. Just, you know, if Jake gets on, I, I like the way that, that um, you know, Contreras can drive the ball and shoot it the other way. So, you know, maybe that'll help him shorten up and, and realize that he doesn't have to do too much and uh, can just go out there and play free and loose. Yeah, since we're on the topic of uh, Wilson Contreras, we know he led all Major League Baseball a season ago with hit-by-pitches with 14, and he's been plunked since 2018 by the Milwaukee Brewers 11 times. So that, 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 that feud back and forth, it's starting to ratchet up just a little bit. And, Tony, the first 12 games of the season, they're against NL Central opponents, specifically – Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, then Milwaukee again. You think the next time that the uh, Brewers and the Cubs butt heads that there's going to be a little bit of friction between Wilson Contreras and whoever's on the mound? Yeah, I think so, especially – well, I, I shouldn't say I think so, like a benches clearing incident. I don't know yeah, about that. Like, yeah, yeah, of course. That's yeah. Go down. No, yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. I'm predicting uh, a huge fight. No, um, I, I, think, I think there is friction because Wilson remembered how Devin Williams hit him last year. And it was that was the only guy, by the way, that Devin Williams hit last year was Wilson. Um, and I think it was the second game of the season. But Wilson remembered that he thought back and was like, yeah, you know, he tried to come inside on me and ended up hitting me in the wrist. Then obviously Williams hit him in the head on Monday night. And so, yeah, it, I get it. Right. Like Wilson's been hit in like four of the last five games or something he's played against the Brewers. And as you mentioned, 11 times total four times last year in a shortened season like it's a lot and and there is a history there with it so I understand Wilson's frustration um and, and I do think that there's a tension and and uh, some sort of boiling point that that we saw a little bit on uh, on Tuesday night's game but yeah you know cooler heads prevailed they they kind of got to the bottom of it uh and figured it out but it, but the fact that the Cubs and Brewers are gonna have to play again so soon next week and then a couple weeks after that I think it's the the final weekend or something of April, they're playing them three series in the first six or seven series of the season. So there's a lot of familiarity there, but if you're talking already some of this like angst and some of this tension, we're going to possibly see it, you know, play out on the field over these next six games that they have against each other. Yeah. Like you said, tensions, they will be running high and it's going to get interesting as the rest of the season unfolds, especially when you kick off the campaign with 12 straight versus the NL Central. Now, guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast brought to you by Trust. And remember, as always, you can download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And you can check us out via lovely video on the Marquee Sports Network app. You can see Ryan Sweeney's lovely salmon shirt. And he has a tie-in from Cubs Post Game Live. He didn't want to change. He wanted to keep it very business-like. As for myself, I said, you know what? I'm getting out of this uh, and I'm putting on something a little more comfortable. So for Ryan Sweeney, Antonio Andraki, I'm Cole Wright. We'll see you next week right here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast.